0: Welcome everyone to the 65th episode of the New Jed Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with Nick Tartaglia. Nick, I got to apologize because the last episode that we did, I screwed up and I said episode 65. So this is actually episode 65, Yeah, but I don't think the listeners actually noticed. So last no. week was 64. I mean, it happens. So I apologize for that and accept full responsibility <laughs> for it. It happens. I mean, this is good
1: though, because... I, we get to discuss some nice things going on again. Uh, as usual, there's never never not something to talk about. So at least we're not ever bored when we do our podcast. So that's a good thing. And um, uh, I mean, I'm going to ask you first. What the hell do you think is going on with uh, Russia? What do you think is next? Ah, the
0: billion dollar question. Um, Okay, we got to take a step back here uh, and fully assess sort of what's happening. And uh, I think I mentioned this when we were talking about geopolitical risks, but I think and y- 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 you, you bring up a great point as to what we're going to talk about today, um, which is the scarcity of resources being tied down to Russia. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But what do I think about the whole Russia situation? Um, it's twofold, okay? Um, you got to go back to 1949 when NATO was founded. Um, NATO was the North Atlantic, uh, treaty organization, whatever it was called, but it was designed at the end of world war II to basically instill peace in the Atlantic region to avoid further war. Uh, and this was alliance between Canada, USA, uh, I think England, France, parts of Western Europe as well. And I think that was pretty much it. And over the course of the years leading up to the collapse of the Soviet union, NATO basically expanded eastward trying to get more Western countries. So pretty much up until now, uh, NATO is predominantly Western European countries along with Canada, US uh, being part and the US being the largest you know, funder of pretty yeah, much everything exactly. um, in that organization. So it almost seems like to me that for the last three decades, uh, those countries have been strongly milking off the United States funding. I'll get to yep. that in a second. Um, Putin gets elected in, I believe, 1999. You and I were probably like less than four years old, but I, you know, I, I read history a lot yeah. and he met with George Bush at the time uh, when Bush became president right before 9-11 and Bush made sure he reassured Port Putin and they said that they had like, you know, a good relationship, which they did at the time. Um, Basically, said Mr. Putin, you have nothing to worry about. We're not going to plan on invading, uh, invading. We're not going to plan on expanding NATO eastwards towards Russia. Um, And essentially, what has happened is Putin said, okay, fine. And he said, promise me one thing we're not going to touch Ukraine. Hmm. Now, Ukraine is a very, unfortunately, if you read the history about Ukraine, it's a very conflicted region. Number one reason is because of the immense amount of natural resources and other resources that come from that country, particularly wheat, uh, yeah. barley like anything that has grain in it. Like it's probably coming from that part of the world. Yeah. Just
1: to give the context to the wheat, 25% of global wheat exports come from Russia
0: and Ukraine. Yeah. They make a quarter of the world's wheat supply right there. It, exactly. So it, it's a huge chunk and we'll get to that in a second. Going back to your question, what do I think about the whole situation? Um, So Putin for years had explained, he goes, Hey man, like stop expand. Like he told NATO, he's like, stop expanding Eastward. He's like, we do not want anything close to Moscow. And then he always said, do you guys remember the Cuban Missile crisis? Stuff that nobody talks about, by the way, not a single individual is talking about this stuff, except for us. Maybe there's a few other groups as well who read about history Uh, But if you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, I mean, people thought the world was going to end. It was nuclear war. JFK was president. um, And they basically, the Soviet Union at the time basically said, we're going to go to Cuba and install rockets, which is 90 kilometers from Florida. The U.S. freaked. It's the same thing Mm -hmm. with having potentially Ukraine become part of the EU or NATO, where Moscow, where rockets are pointed 300 kilometers north at Moscow. That's Putin's logic, and he kept reinforcing that. So with realistic- the USA, With the USA as the primary f- political driver of NATO. Exactly. So again, I do not support war. Mm-hmm. I do not support Putin's actions. I wanna make sure that everybody is clear on that. And I'm not justifying what is happening, but I'm explaining to you why this is why we got to the situation, because history is our best lesson. Mm. So, you know, for for years, for two decades, Putin basically told the EU and NATO, he goes, listen, guys, like, you need to stop expanding your footprint. There were several times where Putin actually tried to negotiate with the EU. And they told him, for lack of a better word, they told him to go fuck himself. It's either do it's as it's like everything else with the West do as I say, or else. Exactly. And that was sort of the Western influence. So what you've seen is a conflict between East and West, right? And then Unfortunately, Western media is painting parts of the Eastern part as authoritarian dictatorship, whatever. Again, I want to be clear. I do not support any of the actions that Putin is doing. I'm telling you from an objective standpoint, being a Russian and Ukrainian Jew, by the way, to ignore, by the way, just to to ignore context or history or the the buildup of this
1: problem, it's misleading. It's ignorant. And it's just, it's unnecessary because it's not an
0: objective conversation at that point. Exactly. So, you know, when, when Putin came in and started invading Ukraine, it, I, I wasn't surprised. I was like, yep. okay, he's had it. Is it justified? No, but he has warned the world multiple times to stop infiltrating that region. And he said, yep. stay out of Ukraine. Ukraine must ma- maintain its neutrality. It's never going to exactly. be part of Europe. It's never going to be part of NATO. It needs to maintain its neutrality so we don't have problems. He just let very- it build economically. Leave, leave, just don't come in and try to be at my border. Talk about economics on Ukraine in a second. Um, 2004, what happened in Ukraine? Does anybody know? Nick, do you know? I don't know the details. There was an election, right? That election was deadlock. I'm talking like 50, 50 split between two candidates. And I always get their names mixed up. There's like Poroshenko or Lushenko. I got to go back, but (laughs) they all sound the same. Um, one candidate was pro-Europe. Okay. And that was the Western part of the country. So the mm-hmm. Western part of the country wanted their independence in Ukraine. They wanted their whole, you know, we want to be part of the EU, yada, 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 yada. you know, let's, let's do this. We don't want to be affiliated with Russia. Which well, ironically
1: th- joining the EU is not that much of a freedom choice.
0: We'll get to that in a second. I <laughs> know. The, the, the other half of the country is very pro-Russia. Mm. It's extremely pro-Russia. Um, And they wanted to be, they wanted the the pro-Russian candidate as as their presidency. So you had a recall the second, so because it was a deadlock, it was complete chaos. So both sides went to Kiev and started protesting. And it was very peaceful for the time being. Um, And what essentially has happened during that time is they said, okay, we got to recall this election, which they did a second time very close to deadlock as well. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just showed you the, con- the conflict in that region. Um, at the time, there were a lot of NGOs that were there. And for those of you that don't know what NGOs are, they're non-government organizations, which, per- which you know, serve as nonprofits to help you know, better society. Unfortunately, there were a lot of them coming from the West that were kind of in Ukraine at the time, pushing Western ideologies into that country like pushing it. So it's funny when I hear like, you know, Americans, particularly people on the left, basically talking about, Hey, like U S uh, foreign, foreign, foreign interference with elections. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? You guys have been interfering with multiple countries across the world and Ukraine is just another example of that. So long story short, in 2004, there was a third time, third recall of that election, which by the Ukrainian constitution, by the way, was illegal. But the Western Allies kept pushing for it. Now, during this time, the protesters got, you know, antsy. They were like, we want, you know, we want our guy to win, this, that, that. What people don't even talk about, by the way, is in a small region in the western part of Ukraine near Poland, there was a group of, I hate to say this, but there was a group called, it's called the the right, the right wing. They're literally mm-hmm. called the right wing <laughs> Ukrainian party, which unfortunately We're actually like, you know, it's a generational group of people that were brought up with pro-Nazi and ideological views. Now, again, it's a small fringe of the population, but when that translates over the course of a few decades, right, you start getting kids who believe in that stuff, doing that. There was a situation where um, there was a figurehead at the time who in 1945 gladly accepted... Hitler's like, you know, resources and stuff. And then they ended up killing like 40,000 Jews in a single day. His statue was approved by a pro-Western leader in Ukraine at the time to be a a historical monument. So keep that in mind. There's, There's so much history that led up to this point, by the way. I just want people to realize it's not just overnight. This has been going on since the end of World War II. So what did they do? They were called the Maidan, Those Maidan basically walked, like they they came to the Capitol and they started causing chaos. And it made it seem at the time that the police or the people that were like, you know, the the security or whatever, it made it seem like it was the pro-Russian candidate at the time who instructed those people to do like a coup Mm d'etat. So the media ran with that. They told the West, oh, this pro-Russian guy, he's terrible, this, that, that. And I remember my grandfather, because my grandfather was born in Kiev, by the way. So I remember I was sitting here and I was trying to understand what was going on. He was explaining it to me. And he goes, this is crazy. Like, you know, and I'm ha- I was having flashbacks when all this stuff was happening. So, you know, that election, unfortunately, was totally like it was chaotic. The pro-European guy ended up winning, right, Poroshenko or whatever his name was. The country was in economic ruin for the next eight years. Mm-hmm. People don't know that. Because so no one talks about it. So what happened? That, that entire, the, the country's economy was gone to shambles. Fast forward to 2012. The pro-Russian guy wins because everyone's fed up. Mm-hmm. And then you have 2014, which the media claims Crimea was taken over. Right? It's not true. They had a democratic election in that region. They had security, they had guards, and they said that region was always pro-Russia. And they had an election to prove that. There was no violence there, right? Unfortunately, the, the Western media, again, cameras on the soldiers saying, oh, Putin's invading, this, that, that. Again, I'm not justifying yeah, any of this absolutely. stuff. I want people to be clear. But this is how you have to look <laughs> at this stuff objectively, right? Right. Um, so annex of Crimea, Crimea becomes part of Russia, you know, Trump gets elected. There's no war. Trump told Putin, he's always, if you touch Ukraine, we're going to, we're going to bomb the shit out of Moscow Well, to give, to give credit to, uh, <clears throat> to so that's, Trump. that that's my take, by the way, if yeah, you that's to, how we got to this whole situation and to give credit to Trump,
1: honestly, for specifically in terms of like this, like Trump did not support our fuel, much of the global, um, elitist institutions like nato and the world economic forum he didn't really support those things he didn't want to be associated with that he wanted to focus more on economic development and focus on fundamentals and partnerships with other countries he didn't want to be known as a western nation who just goes around controlling everybody which again i know right putin has made it clear he does not want global elitists at his border he didn't want them he knows like And if Trump was not fueling that with the Ukraine, Putin didn't really have a reason. And then you have the whole socioeconomic chaos. You have the COVID hysteria. You have uh, Biden. You have an entirely divided nation. uh, You have the failure of Afghanistan, uh, inflation crisis, uh, all of that happening. It's a perfect opportunity for him to
0: say, you know what? Now's the time to take action. And again, this is just an objective viewpoint. So to answer your question, I, I gave you a history lesson about mm-hmm. what happened in Ukraine. And I, I guarantee you there's stuff that I didn't even talk about that people are going to be like, there's still obviously there's always death. There's a lot so more, much yeah. there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But that was just a 30,000 overview. of. of that's of it. What,
1: He's been warning about it for two decades. Leave. Ukraine neutral. Do not bring your forces to the border. And it's like you said, it's the Cuba crisis. And then I say to people, imagine if imagine if China was trying to do the same thing with Mexico at the US border, would you think the United States would just be like, yeah, yeah, do whatever you want? No, of course not. They would go in, push China out and say you are not coming out of border. They would do it
0: too. Because why would not? That's exactly what Russia, the uh, United States would do. I mean, maybe not under this administration, simply because they believe in open borders on Mexico which, again, I, I just... Anyway, well, a, I don't want to get into that's that. That's a whole that's, other problem, That's too. <laughs> a whole other situation that, again, not, not, it, severe economic consequences that are looming. So, again, um, we're a macro finance podcast tied into history. So, obviously, what we want to do here is now that we understand the situation in Ukraine and in Russia, um, we saw what happened, the sanctions, okay? So, pivot into economic stuff. So, the sanctions essentially... Um, were deemed as a total, I believe, and I think you would agree with this, I think this is an act of war. We're in an economic financial war right now, and people don't even realize it until summer rolls around and they're going to be like, why am I paying $25 for eggs? Or why am I Instead paying of, $17 for a loaf of bread? I
1: don't have to kill you physically. Which So you no. can either do a typical military war where it's about killing each other, yeah. or I could do economic warfare where I make you suffer because you can't access resources. You can't get things you need. You can't find employment, blah, 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 blah. You know? So, so
0: now, now we're in a very, uh, I, again, to me, this is war. Okay. Like I just want to be clear, but what, what has happened is when you entire when you totally ban an entire country from the swift banking system, you're creating much deeper, long-term problems tied to businesses and other, you know, Particularly loans and debt and all that, all that crazy stuff. So when I saw there were like 112 like corporations globally that wanted to pull out of Russia. And ironically, most of them were like McDonald's, Burger King, Facebook. I was just like laughing. I saw a meme. They're just like, okay, you just made ourselves more productive and healthy, which ironically <laughs> might be true. We'll have to see. Yeah. But, you know, when when I saw that, I was just like, wow, it's like, you know, this whole woke ideology is like, you know it's everywhere. Like the West is portraying this woke ideology of cancel culture, but the East is also doing the same thing, except <laughs> they kill you. If you oppose their leadership, they will literally kill you here on the West. They don't get, ca- they, they don't kill you. They just destroy you financially, yeah. which again, I know this is a crazy question. I don't know what's worse. It's the same. At the end of the day, it's both primal tactics. <laughs> exactly. So this goes still, back- I think
1: it still falls within the
0: force, coercion, manipulation, or financial burden. Exactly. So you know the the sanctions th- they're gonna have short term positive effects, but I think long term, man, like people don't. Yeah, hundred realize- percent. Think about it this way, right? Will it probably
1: speed up the whole relationship of the East with uh, Russia and China? Yeah, absolutely. Will it most likely divert? Well, I mean, a perfect example is the oil thing now with the uh, petrol dollar, where now you have like India and China and uh, Turkey and countries starting to say, you know what, I don't mind if we start transacting in euro or the yuan or something else. It's not long; it's no longer use. Uh, use well, the USD. Th-
0: th- well, there was an article this week that basically came out and said the Saudis are strongly considering trading oil in yuan. Yeah, exactly. And, and this, to me, just signals how. First of all, if we thought the world was divided like during COVID, it's like even more divided now, you know, and the fact that you have like people getting canceled because they're Russian yeah, is like insane, Yeah, you know? yeah. like totally, totally mind boggling that this is actually happening. But again, it just doesn't surprise me based on what we've seen over the last three years and how, you know, politicians and, and world leaders try to basically control the narrative for, for their own benefit, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, like going back to the Yuan, um, this to me signals a potential, uh, two tier monetary system where you have a Western system mm-hmm. and an Eastern system. Yeah, now the exactly. problem is I agree. Everybody is in debt. Everybody is on the verge of possible default. So the question now becomes, okay, when we reach that tipping point, Right. Who, which, which country falls first, and how does that affect everything? There's a domino effect start to trickle around. Do we have another 8 I don't know. I'm not going to predict that. But from what I'm seeing, it's just like you know when we had that one week where commodities were skyrocketing, and then they came back down, and oil was skyrocketing. I was just like, oh my god, like this just accelerated everything that was particularly planned in this economic cycle by probably like 6 months. So people were like, yeah, a recession maybe 18 22 months away. I think we are pretty close to maybe 10 or 6 months away from that. So um yeah, man, it's it's honestly I think China
1: I think China shutting down that city with like 45 million people had a and causing that price of oil to come down too. I think had a short-term benefit in the sense to kind of like slow down the fear of inflation a little from uh, from prices skyrocketing
0: because as soon as they did that, prices started coming down on oil. Well, they had to. They didn't have a choice, right? But the point the point is the point is if the if 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 the West wants to at least have more control of the price of oil, (laughs) they gotta focus on energy independence. Canada Canada and US right now, if we just said sign the Keystone pipeline, open it up, oil goes down to eighty six bucks, maybe seventy five. Now, I know oil companies don't want to hear that because they're generating so much free cash flow right now, which is great because they had probably the worst year ever in 2020 when oil went negative. But you're, like, all they have to do is just say, okay, let's open up Keystone. Let's open up the pipeline. Let's get gas prices lower, but they don't want to do that. And I always ask myself the question, like, why do they not want to do that?
1: It seems like it, it suits the narrative. One, it pushes everybody towards the whole Ill- government spending more money to for electrify things faster because it'll, you know, they, they have a reason. Oh, look, things are expensive. You know, let's go that way. Kind of like indirectly nudges people into a different economic direction. And then uh, and then I'd probably say another portion of that is complete ignorance where they think that what they're doing has no impact on the actual economy. And it just. Greedy companies and it's capitalism and it's Putin's fault because everything's Putin's fault.
0: Yeah. And I find it ironic too, when you have some people come out and basically blame the war on their inflation problems, (laughs) when the reality is if you've taken a basic economics course, which I believe most of our listeners, I think every listener that we have probably has more money supply that gets generated into the system, the less your purchasing power, the higher the inflation, it's that simple. It's not rocket science. So I I just laugh when I hear people actually believing that narrative saying, oh, it's because of the war. It's because of this. And no disrespect, like I go through LinkedIn and there's some financial advisors out there who are going with that narrative. And I'm just like, what? Like, you're supposed to be a fiduciary individual and you believe the media narrative of the war is to blame. It's part of it. What have we done in the last two years? Canada has printed more than five hundred billion dollars. The U.S. has printed almost sixty percent of its money supply. Sorry, forty percent of its money supply in a span of six months. Like it just—it's baffling. Um, so anyway, um, and what scares to talk- me
1: just—just to, just to say that. It, what scares me back to the petrol dollar thing fast, fast is if we go into this environment where you have massive economies that no longer want to use the USD as a base, it sets a precedent for much more other commodities and trade negotiations to be set in other currencies. And if that starts happening and people start using the USD less, what people don't realize is when we, you, when other countries use the USD where you, basically what it is, you at you're kind of outsourcing inflation. You're, you're sending it out. So you don't necessarily have that inflation though, that, that, liquidity or that supply of money of USD in America, increasing prices. But if external countries are no longer using USD for transactions or whatever, all that money supply that typically would go, that was used in other global economies comes right back to the United States. So now you have even more money supply within the same economy. So that can lead to a massive,
0: another uh, inflationary pressure upwards. I love how you simplify that because like High money, just it's really simple. More money supply, higher inflation. That's it. (laughs) It's not complicated, unless you want to do like a whole like macroeconomic thesis. You look at supply and demand graphs, but uh, that's a very good point, man. And so that that's another thing that scares me in terms of observations.
1: Like you know, if we keep pushing the the east side of the the world, the hemisphere, to just disconnect from the west entirely. You, we're, we're, we're going to cause ourselves so much socioeconomic problems because we just didn't think down the trickle effects that they, that this whole ego of the West that uh, we are the center of democracy. We're the speed. We are the representative of free speech and uh, rule of law. And uh, our USD is the reserve currency. And we have no reason to think otherwise. It's just too much ego.
0: So, I mean, the lot, the, you know, the longer we do this podcast, I hope that we can, one day bring on Ray Dalio because mm-hmm. that would be cool. And that's a perfect example. If, if, if you've read, I just ordered his new book of changing the world order. Yeah. where He basically what he did and there's a video on it. He talks about how the fall, the rise and fall of empires is associated mm-hmm. with like eight things. And when you read it, it's just like, it's so simply explained that it all makes sense. I'm not going to go through it, but you have to understand, I think, and everybody agrees to this. The U S is kind of declining as an empire and China's on its way up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unavoidable right now. That's like a historical trend that's happened over the course of 250 years, that the only way to revert that is to go back to the core of what happened and to pretty much fix it. But again, it's, it's, it's stuff that I'm just so fascinated about because it has such severe economic consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, speaking of economic consequences, um, you know, global trade right now is alarming. Um, the U S and Canada have been exporting Russian and Chinese and Saudi oil for, I don't know how long. Uh, and people are only starting to realize now that we need to be energy independent, right? So that's one commodity. The other commodity, the other commodities that are out there. I mean, you've sanctioned Russia. Russia has pretty much, I would say out of the top, you know, there's nickel, there's copper, there's natural gas, natural gas, it's all the t- it's like 25% of global trade right now. So it's you know, I think gonna- they're hurting that I think it's sad because
1: they're hurting the poorest of people, the young, the, the future children, the middle class. They are the ones that are going to burn these costs, not just in Russia, not just Ukraine, everywhere, Europe, North America. They are the ones that are going to burn the greatest cost because we have battles of egos within global institutions. That you – know, so-
0: that think that they that they have the right to do whatever they want on the, in this world. So you know that, that's just something that is going to pretty much end up hurting a lot of people. I mean, even for, for imagine owning a production facility of you know, I don't know anything pillows or um, food. Like food prices, man. It, it's it's like you own a butchery you, you have to raise your prices. You have to pass them on to the consumers. And I'll be honest, like my grocery baskets over the last like couple of weeks gotten smaller i don't eat a lot you know but it, it's like i've noticed it too and again i, I don't really care because i'm i'm okay like i'll be fine and i'm sure you'll be fine but you you, you really start noticing it too on your personal finances um so i started affording
1: to a little more food than usual yeah
0: but buy more like i i, I bought a second fridge
1: to put downstairs <laughs> and i stocked that now with the fridge the the, the freezer stock there i think just because like What's going on man you, you at any point you could have a massive supply disruption you can have something just collapse and you can't get anything so you know what I said let's talk about meat perishables
0: just in case something ever happens now so, so again I, I don't want to scare people that's not the point of this but I, I've, I've also been stocking up on like non-perishables like if you open my pantry there's like cans of everything. You know, beads and, and and pasta and soups right now, just in case. Because if I bought that, a ton of rice too. <laughs> and rice, rice is very important. because You need grain, but grain also comes from Russia and Ukraine. So it's like, <laughs> oh my God, and China. If we, you know, say we want to mess with China, we want to. If we're gonna mess with the East, we are gonna cause us so many problems. So to your point, if there is a shock in the system, you're gonna have another <laughs> series of panic buying, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, panic buying is just like, it's all right, we're, you know, people just freaking out, lining up, and you're seeing lines that look like bread lines outside of a Costco, um, which we want to avoid. Anyway, enough about the macro stuff. Let's talk about the market because um, a lot of stuff happened this week. Uh, The Mm. Fed increased rates for the first time since 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, which was expected uh, at 25 basis points. Canada started theirs, I believe, about two months ago or a month and a half ago. Um, that to me signals a shift of what we've been talking about for the Mm -hmm. last year and a half, which is like, they're going to have to increase rates at some point or else this inflation is going to get out of control. The problem now- Will it even
1: damage? It won't won't, won't even do anything. The the problem
0: now is you, you you run into this situation of people who have essentially been on that sugar rush of 2020 who have not understood what- you know, debt is, have not understood what a mortgage is, what is going to happen to your mortgage in the next five years and the price of your home when the rates go up to about a buck, a uh, hundred basis points, so 1%. The 10-year, the five-year, the two-year right now are sitting flat. The moment that inverts, that's a signal of a recession looming mm-hmm. and you have commodity prices increasing. So when Jay Powell comes out and he talks about, you know, yeah, like inflation is a problem. It's like, well, no no kidding. It's been a problem since the beginning of COVID when we dropped the rates. Which he's been wrong about every step of the way. But I, I, I don't think that he's doing... I, I don't think he's like... The word I'm trying to say is I don't think he's stupid. I think he knows what's going on. But he needs to play that game of neutrality and control the situation. So now we run into a situation where there's a possibility that in the next three Fed meetings we're gonna have another, we're gonna have another rate increase, we're gonna have another rate increase, and we're gonna have another rate increase. It's 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 playing catch up now with the actual Treasury market. Um, so what asset classes do well in this environment, Nick? Well, definitely energy commodities. Exactly. Commodities are gonna
1: do really well in this environment. Especially, yeah. you you don't even have to look at it. For, you, you can look at everything that the government's going to spend money. They want they want it to be able because especially in the recession, it's like back to the Keynesian stuff. Is when you have all these goal economic problems, the government says, "Well, I need to stimulate." Well, you know, stimulate. They're going to do it through well expansionary purposes like infrastructure, uh, uh, energy, and all the things. But uh, all those things require commodities and requires human labor. So energy is a massive, and you're going to have a massive rotation out of all these, uh, well, I mean, everything, all these asset classes inflated like crazy, and there's going to be a massive rotation out of them into something that's cheap and been neglected for over a decade. So for me, it's been commodities energy, my biggest. uh, But what scares me is if there's a deflation or sustained deflation or sustained recession, then it could put downward pressure on commodities because then you might not necessarily see the world build out the
0: way it wants to. I want to build on what you said. Take a gold miner, for example, right? Inflation just doesn't affect the price of the commodity. It's going to affect their price of production and stuff like that. So you're, you're basically thinking that there's a possibility that even though it's a great commodities market, the actual commodities companies or stocks that are out there might actually suffer yeah, uh, not significantly, but just as a result of the prices of everything just
1: increasing. And, and Yeah, exactly. And you might That's, get, if you get a potential like global economic slowdown because of recession, well, then a government might redirect capital for a different purpose or they might, or you might just not see the same type of activity. So you might see less of a demand on terms of the supply side from the for the supply, which might put less pressure. It, you know, it's a possibility. I doubt it, especially in this environment. You have Euro that said they want to spend two trillion dollars on infrastructure and military expansion. You have the West that just spent another one point five trillion dollar passed bill this week. <laughs> you know, so and it all involves infrastructure, energy,
0: and military, which all requires commodities. All of it requires commodities. I had a conversation uh, yesterday with a uh, helium CEO. Yeah, Here, here's a fun fact: helium uh, is there's a global shortage. Yeah. Um, and there was a plant in Russia that just blew up, which provided like mm. almost ten percent of the supply oh, of helium. And, in that, the world. and that's extremely already a limited market. And here's the thing that nobody understands. I mean, most people do. I I, I don't mean to be cynical. It come off as like patronizing. <laughs> I, I apologize. But most people <laughs> who don't understand how commodities work is helium is actually found in your laptop. <laughs> helium is found in this small amounts to operate because it's like a noble gas. It's, 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 not, it's not radioactive, but he, and helium is actually very popular, uh, popular. It's used in MRI machines, yeah. MRI machines in order to get your scan of your body needs a significant amount of helium, right? Data storage is also like uh,
1: tech companies, although data storages, they yeah. use helium because it keeps the cool. It keeps it cool down. Yeah. And a uh, well, person that I've been advocating for helium was Johnny uh, from, um, Copperbank
0: actually, he's been uh over two almost three years he's been talking about helium. So, that is another example of a commodity that is in very low demand, uh, very high demand yeah. and short supply, yeah. and reducing supply, and no, no mines being built, and, and no mines being built. And the ones that are in that region in Ukraine and Russia are totally destroyed. Neon, yeah. another uh noble gas or gas, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but another gas that is needed for lights. You know, mm. uh, Ukraine supplies 80% of the world. <laughs> I mean, the consequences of war and the consequences of sanctions is like when I hear people saying, yeah, we got to sanction them more. It's just like, guys, like you don't understand, like this is going to affect all of us.
1: There's a, there's a saying that goes, uh, if, when goods and services don't cross borders, soldiers do. So if we go into a period where we are messing with global economies and then you start seeing Western nations and, you know, first tier, uh, second tier nations that no longer have certain goods that they need to get because they've entirely depend themselves on other uh, external countries and economies. What? What are you going to go to? war? Now everybody's going to go to war now because they need to fight for certain goods. And, so- and then in this environment. Here, So there's another thing that scares me in this environment, a quick little side thing to the macro is, well, what will Afghanistan, Iran, the AU do in this chaotic environment? What will China do with Taiwan? What will North Korea do? Because North Korea is North beginning a little you know, busy with their uh, military activity. And also, and like you said, with all these things is the West and the world wants to electrify. If you want to electrify, you need commodities like never before. If you want to build your infrastructure, if you want to build more military equipment, if you want to do all those things, you need more commodities. And we have neglected that space for over a decade with no capital investments. Uh, like it's been entirely neglected. No new uh, uh, mines being built from most commodities. So it's, it's, it's probably one of the biggest opportunity gaps in the market, I find.
0: I think, uh, gold, silver, copper, nickel, all these commodities that people, like you said, have been neglecting are going to be a very good investment. Uh, I actually bought a, a more, I added more copper. I added more nickel to my portfolio mm. this week. Um, I'm going to be adding physical silver as well. I think silver at some point, I'm not making price predictions on yeah. timeframes, but just based on what's happening. I it, I would not be surprised to see fifty dollars silver at some point. Maybe I was at the bank.
1: I was at the bank and um, I went to because I went to pick up some silver and both times I went, they will tell me it's they they both told two different people. I said to me, it's odd. that I've been noticing a lot more people than usual buying gold and silver here all the time. And I asked them what age group. They're saying, oh, mostly the older people. But
0: they noticed how a lot more people are buying things that they didn't usually do. The, the other thing that kind of concerns me, too, is at what point does the Fed basically break the market? Is it 2%? Is it 1.5%? And what happens to those equities, right? And here's, um, the, que- here's the thought to that. Is, is it equities that break first or is it the housing market that breaks first? I mean, historically, it's always been the housing market that breaks last because that but, usually when the housing market goes down first uh, sorry usually when the housing market goes down that signals the beginning of a, a recession but i don't know man there's been a sugar rush too the psychology of investors especially our age group like people thinking that buying the dip on tech stocks is like going to be a good thing and they've don't been get doing me wrong. that for like weeks already yeah don't get me wrong like i still think there's going to be some kind of a rally here in stocks you know, but I think the come down is just gonna blow people's mind. I was looking at Shopify the other day. Great company, but like totally great company. I think you know, <laughs> Canadian unicorn. It's amazing, but their stock was like twenty two hundred bucks mm-hmm. uh, at the, at its peak. It's down to like six hundred bucks. It's almost a seventy five percent drop. That just shows you how volatile tech stocks can be when all the Fed is doing or the Bank of Canada is doing is printing more money. When you print more money, you're actually inflating the asset prices of technology stocks and stocks where earnings don't even care. It doesn't matter. They're just funneling the market. Now you've run into a situation where, okay, what are banks going to do? That's the next question, by the way, to your point about housing. Mm -hmm. When are the banks going to stop lending? Like when that happens, there is a when that happens, that's when I'm just like, okay, there's something like they know something is coming. Mm-hmm. When the banks stop lending money, <laughs> that that's, that's probably a time to really take a step back and say, Holy crap. You know, so those people that have been taking out a line of credits to live life and just live off debt. I'm sorry, guys. Like it, it's, it's to your point. It's like, we are probably going to see a destruction. Like people who are in the middle class right now are going to get pushed so far well, down. By, their yeah. Body- most standard of living, just the inflation alone, standard
1: of living from majority of human humans across the world are going down. Our standard so, of living is going down.
0: So I know we talked. We talked about a lot of things here today. You asked me a very simple question at the beginning. What do I think about Russia, I let the listeners figure that out because that was, you know, my take on it. It's a very object. I think it's a very objective mm-hmm. viewpoint, but it's having, it's accelerating the unintended consequences of this potential rapid recession that is on the horizon. Do so. You know, the best way to protect yourself is one, add more streams of income. Dividend paying stocks, again, not an investment advice recommendation, but this is what and, and energy is a great I, source of that. Nick, Nick, and I have been doing this. Um, energy is a great, great hedge right now. Commodities will be a great hedge. Bitcoin, I, I, I own it. Mm-hmm. I know I, I have, I have Bitcoin. I have Ethereum. Um, I'm just waiting for it I'm to just go down waiting more. I'm just yeah. waiting for it because I, I there's still a part of me that believes that it's still a risk on asset mm-hmm. it's still correlated to the market so when the market does go down Bitcoin has a tendency to go down with it whereas commodities kind of hold their base so that's the hesitation I have but you know five percent allocation
1: yeah I'm waiting for it to go below I'm I, I think it'll probably go around 25. So that's my, my trigger that's buy for point. <laughs> my new allocation is once it goes below 28. My first one is below 28. Once it gets there, first tranche will probably go in. That's what I'll recommend. But I i don't, I don't think it's going to go up from here. I mean, it could get, go up a little we,
0: more, but I don't see it going back to all-time highs. We, we need to get some more Bitcoin uh, activists on here to kind of really just understand sort of their perspective too. But again, as an asset allocator, when you look at the last 10 years of Bitcoin and crypto, Ethereum as well, it's been the best performing asset class. Mm -hmm. You have to pay attention to it. There's no question about that. But then the question
1: becomes, will the next 10 years be an environment that suits it? Because again, you know, there's certain factors for crypto that has never been experienced. One, it's 12 years old. So it's like an infant relative to its learning development. It hasn't experienced much. What, how does he experience if there's really is a war like let's say things escalate with China and Taiwan let's say Taiwan China really does go let's say things escalate with the Russia and United States of the West so how does that impact the, the cryptocurrency let's say there's there's a deglobalization or a deflation environment let's say there's a currency war let's say the USD becomes a, a removed as the reserve currency um, all these things governments are going to want to mitigate these risks from a financial and economic standpoint and They don't want to have things that are going to disrupt their, their fiat system and their economic environment. And crypto can definitely be targeted. Even if they come up with dumb excuses that don't even make sense. It's the government. Most of the things they do don't make sense half the time anyway. So they can do things that completely decimate the ecosystem. You have war, you have generational transfer that is never experienced. You've never, it's never experienced a sustained recession. It's, it's, it's experienced a short-term one quickly, but it's never experienced one long-term. What happens if there's a deflation and we go into a depression, like these things have never been experienced within the crypto ecosystem. Yeah. So these are things that I simply need to observe. And then how does it behave in relation to these outcomes? If it holds through. Cool, you've out you've validated it, you've given it confidence. It's, you know, you, you've strengthened its psychology. But if it doesn't do well in this in these different, uh, different like trend environments, then it can lose in its entire momentum. So for it's, me, it's really based
0: on what happens in those environments. Which is a great way to look of any type of asset that's yep. I still believe though, you know, with everything going on like blockchain. <laughs> NFTs yes are, NFTs forget the JPEGs because that's insane but the actual concept of an NFT mm-hmm. uh, is going that's going to change the way we do business everything related to contracts particularly but um, you know we'll, we'll have to see what happens I mean yeah. does it test does it stand the test of time yeah, if yeah. there's another world war God forbid gold has withstand that you know bitcoin hasn't experienced anything like that. that's it you know it's just it's just a child that needs to prove itself through different environments that's all
1: it is and how does it do that based on the the resilience and confidence of the people that are holding that asset class and how it brings in new buyers if it does those things then kudos bitcoin will do extremely well because it the environment is suited for it to do really well
0: Man, we talked about a lot of things today, so yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to bore people anymore. But um, you know, stay stay alert, stay stay vigilant uh, with you know what's going to happen. Because I, I'm not issuing any warnings, but if something does get really out of control, let's just say it's just not going to surprise me. Yeah. Um, it's better to be prepared than not prepared at all and have your pants down when shit does hit the fan. You know, so.
1: No, it's that saying that the old saying, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. It's first time I heard of that, but I guess yeah. that definitely makes it's, it's sense. It's like, it's <laughs> like a, yeah, you know, it's you want to be prepared. You want to know your shit. And then if you don't ever have to use it, but good for you. You don't have to. But it's if insurance. you're in that environment, at least you have it. It's insurance,
0: basically, which is great. Yeah. Guys, check us out on YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, we are going to be at a conference coming up in May, the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Go check that check that website out. Uh, some awesome the names. House. Um, there's some very awesome names there uh, in the precious metals and resource space that Nick and I have been uh, honored to be invited to. Uh, we had Jay Martin on, so check that out. And in the meantime. Uh, do your due diligence. And the best thing that I could say is whatever is happening in the mainstream, it's always good to kind of ask yourself the other question. What is their real objective there and to find information that really goes against it and at least helps you become more of a critical thinker. Um, Anything else to add, Nick, or what? no we covered a ton
1: <laughs> we need to have now i know we need to have another bitcoin person on we need to have a political person on because we, let's talk, i want to talk geopolitics a little especially from a military standpoint just to see like you know how would things you know how what is their perspective how do things play out china taiwan north korea south korea afghanistan iran uae russia ukraine the western nations um just see how that plays out and then you know And then from there on, the rest is up to us to keep observing what the hell's going on.
0: Well, we hope to keep everybody informed. Um, Again, none of of the recommendations in the show were actual investment advice. Uh, Please do your own due diligence and consult Mm -hmm. a financial advisor. But we will see you next time on the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Ciao, guys.